Joining me now is Dr. <laughs> She's not going to give it a rest. Joining me now is Dr. James Thorpe. Dr. Thorpe, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Brandon, thank you so much for having me on your illustrious platform again. You're very kind. Thank you. We had to cut you short the other night, right when it was getting uh, uh, very, very, uh, what's what's the word, uh, compelling, but also frustrating because our audience could not believe that you lost uh, your job uh, after being praised by the man that was talking to you and telling you what a, you know, how, what an incredible doctor you are. Uh, then all of a sudden you're slid over a piece of paper and told sign this with a big bonus to go out the door. And you're like, no. And next thing you know, you're fired. Uh, any follow-up to that breaking news that you gave us Friday night? No, no follow-up. Uh, just clarification. I, I was clearly um, immediately fired after my stance on COVID. Um, that's a fact. Now, they allege no cause for termination and praised me, as you mentioned, uh, for 30 minutes with an attorney present. So we have copious notes and documentation of that. But, um, you know, this is I, I, just a gift from God to show the world exactly how corrupt these hospital systems and the medical industrial complex, your federal government, all of the uh, credentialing agencies are. They're all captured, they're terminally corrupt, and they are responsible for killing and injuring millions of patients globally. And it's, um, it's a, an abomination of science that uh, these people could still to this day push a deadly, lethal, drug in the most vulnerable patients, which are my patients, pregnant women, preborns, and newborns, continue to do all to this very day, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American College of OBGYN. And we know why that is, because they are captured by the $13 billion of bribe money that was printed by the HHS and CDC, uh, Secretary, uh, uh, former Secretary, I should say, of HHS and uh, CDC, Mark Weber, uh, rolled out a $13 billion bribe campaign for over 300 influencers in the United States of America, um, trying to bribe First of all, he hid the lethal data, which he had available to him, that showed it was the deadliest drug ever rolled out in the history of medicine. That was available February 28th, 2021. And shortly thereafter, they buried that, tried to hide it for 75 years, and then rolled out a $13 billion, really a, a bribe campaign. And, and I call it what my wife Maggie uh, and I discovered through a FOIA request, with HHS and CDC and the American College of OBGYN is they were uh, signed what I have called and quoted as I texted you earlier today, the covenant with death. And the covenant with death is a binding legal contract that the American College of OBGYN signed to get way north of $11 million. Uh, they redacted half of the 1400 pages that we got 
we know they got at least 11 million. And when they signed that and took that $11 million, they signed the covenant with death, which allowed, which uh, disavowed, disallowed them to deviate one tiny millimeter from the deadly narrative of HHS and CDC. So to this very day, this very day, Brana, they're pushing it as safe, effective, and necessary in pregnancy. Wow. Uh a, a a you called it a covenant of death and for those of you that want to follow follow dr thorpe uh you can follow him at his twitter handle is at j a t h o r p m f m i'll try to bring that up where people can read that more clearly uh let's see there we go let's let's show that right there there it is that's his that's his twitter handle at j a T H O R P M F M for those that would like to follow that uh, more closely. Um, we also have over at worldviewreport.com tonight, Cong uh, Congressman. Maybe you should run for Congress. Maybe that was a Freudian slip. We have over here no. on our website tonight, <laughs> Doctor, um, we have over here this article Swiss study, heart injuries from COVID vaccine 300,000 times higher than thought. Uh, I sent this to you earlier so you could do a little show prep, a little homework, and give us your analysis. What are your thoughts on this study, doctor? Yeah, that was actually the same study I sent you. Uh, oh, <laughs> so okay. We were, we were trading, we were trading unbeknownst to each other. Okay. I, I got the actual, the actual manuscript version. It's uh, published by Bergen and colleagues, uh, I, I believe, out of Basel, Switzerland. And, and this is a unique study. It's unique for the, for a couple of reasons. First, um, it's a actively prospective observational study of healthcare personnel, healthy, who took the booster vaccine, and and most uh, most of these were women. And I, I I think the gamatria of the numbers are really interesting. I don't know if you picked up on that, Brenna, but how many how many patients were in the control group? Did you happen to read that? Well, I see it right here, if you guys want to show it. In fact, and I study with 777 participants, 777. And, and how many were in the control group? Uh, was it 666? No, the same, 777. You're, you're kidding, really? No, no, and I don't think that's coincidence. Gematria, I, you know, God created mathematics and physics, and uh, there's no coincidence in God. But, but this is a unique study in that, they found, um, and this was published in the European Journal of uh, Heart Failure, a major international peer-reviewed journal. And what they found was an astronomical 5.1%, 5.1% of these healthy workers developed evidence of abnormal troponin levels of the heart. And what that means is that there's myocardial cellular damage releasing the troponin, 5.1%. And 2.8% of the uh, individuals had active myocardial damage. So this is unbelievable numbers. These And, and what is the importance of this? Well, first of all, in this study that was where the patients were 
actively followed prospectively uh, found very different findings than prior studies. There was actually a greater proportion of women that had the abnormal troponin levels and the myocarditis, the myocardial damage, as compared with men. But here's the difference, is that what we know is when there's cardiac damage, uh, when there's uh, vaccine-induced cardiac damage, these patients are at increased risk of sudden death, as in Damar Hamlin died. He died. He was resuscitated. And as in many, many others, um, this, uh, this uh, Brahmi James, uh, same thing. And by the way, we uh, no, found a, we found an article we showed last night where LeBron James was saying that, you know, he researched it. He was hesitant, but he researched it and decided that for him and his family was the thing to do. So that gives us cause to believe, indeed, this young man was vaxxed. Of, of course he was vaxxed. And, and when, when you see it on CNN, it's just disgusting to see them try to write it off and say, oh, this is all normal. It's just um, it, it's an abomination of science and you know, I, I just don't understand why people cannot see the data. There's people dying, dropping dead all over the world. And I really think they're, they're, either, they're either dumb as fence posts, uh, number one. Number two, they're paid trolls. Or number three, um, they have spike protein damage to their brain causing psychiatric and cognitive issues. Um, or... You know, maybe they're just genuinely nice, uh, dull human beings that were, um, were were really brainwashed by the $13 billion uh, campaign launched by your government. Um, and then, of course, we had this uh, Tori Kelly. I, I thought she was a country singer. I guess she's a, is she a Christian singer or something? I thought she was country. Maybe she's Christian. I read tonight on my new, own news report, so I, I guess our team ought to know. But this young woman, you know, 30-something years old, I think, somewhere around there, has to go to the hospital with blood clots. I mean, I, on a, I don't know how often you get to watch my Worldview report, but on a nightly basis almost, I'm reading and telling the audience of a story where a young person, healthy, fit young person, is either dying, having a heart attack, or having blood clots. And now you're giving us this, this study that is saying that it's, it's 3,000 times higher than thought. That number, 5.1%, 5.1% of the people that are getting these shots, you're saying, are having some kind, varying degrees, and the article goes into it, 2.8% is a lot higher than 0 0.11 or 0.001%. Another 0.3% had a probable myocarditis, putting the total at over 3%. And, and you're, you're saying that when you combine it all together, it's really over 5% of some kind of heart damage. What, yes. what, what does that mean in terms of numbers on, on just in the U.S.? Do we know how many that would represent in the U.S. that took the shot? What figure can we put on that? Yeah. Um, well, let's look at the, uh, the data from the childhood vaccination that uh, the the Eric Rubin, editor-in-chief uh, of the, uh, he's obviously captured and obviously corrupt. Um, he was the one that voted in Atlanta because he's on the vaccine committee to vote, and he voted to push the vaccine in children ages 5 to 11. And as you know, his infamous statement um, He's, he's really not a scientist. Uh, his actions appear more consistent with a fascist 
uh, captured by a lot of money. And so what he said in front of the, FD, the FDA panel in Atlanta, Georgia, on national television, look at all over, he said, well, we don't know whether it's safe or not in children. We just need to roll it out and see what happens. Well, what happens? Well, he took the, the risk of what you're talking about from one in a million, one or two in a million, to 25,000 times that. So we, he took uh, the, the risk of myocarditis in those children that was virtually non-existent, one to two per million, to 25,000 times that. So that is a 2.5% risk. 2.5%. Okay, so that's not far off from the numbers. So he killed and injured a lot of children. That's what happened, Eric Rubin. Uh, you saw now what happened and your bank account and your wallets, uh, um, I'm sure, much fatter for it. But uh, that's what happened. We'll see what happens. You saw what happened. Mm. So um, it's, it's really no surprise. It's relatively consistent with those numbers. Here's the important thing is what to have the troponin levels, you know, what we can do in these patients that was performed in the study by Bergen et al. in the European Journal of, uh, of uh, Heart Failure, is that we can tell these patients, okay, do not, do not exercise. You know, do not go out and run a marathon. Do not go out and play basketball. Do not go out and play soccer. Because if you do, you're at much greater risk of sudden death. So we can preemptively counsel those patients if we know their troponin levels uh, that they have this little focus of damage in their heart. And that's what causes the fatal arrhythmia and the death. Can, can someone like uh, LeBron James' son, can he be cured of this and go back to have a normal, healthy life or not? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm, not a pediatric, I'm not a cardiologist, but I, I think that the data would suggest that this is a very, very serious event. And if he... Um, if his troponin levels are elevated, and which I'm sure they are, and if he has some myocardial damage, which I'm sure he probably does from the vaccine, then yes, he should have a good prognosis. But the danger period is exercising and going out back out on the basketball court. And if he does that, he's going to be at risk for sudden death. Would that be the case for his whole rest of his life, or is will this heal naturally? No, I, God willing, um, he'll get over the danger period. And how, how long that is, I don't think we can know for sure. And again, um, this would be up more up Dr. Peter McCullough's yeah. uh, Alex than, than mine. But I would suggest that for at least um, six weeks, he needs to be not vigorously exercising and letting his heart muscle rest okay. and recover. Now now, I'm not going to ask you to diagnose someone over the television, but you, you can throw that picture up there right there, guys. Can, can you see that, Dr. Thorpe? Can you see that, um, that video, that picture right there? Yes, I do see it. Okay, let me play this video. What, what the heck just happened today with Mitch McConnell? Uh, yeah, you can go with volume. What? I mean, he just froze. He was right in the middle of talking, and then he just froze. Nothing. And of course, looks it, like a stroke. I know it looks, looks like, like a stroke, and I'm not even a yeah, doctor. Uh, now it could be a, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, or or it could be a stroke. Um, and the only thing that'll determine the differential diagnosis there is whether he completely recovers. 
Well, I think I actually just saw a clip where he walked back out. Shortly after that, he walked back out and stood back back behind John Thune there. Um, you know, he did fall and had a pretty serious injury, of, you know, several months ago. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, of course, you start talking about strokes. I mean, he is an older guy. He's had some injuries. Uh, but you, you have to wonder, too, about... Um, uh, you know, sh the shot, you know, are, are these guys have all, have they all taken the shot as well? You know, I, again, we can't diagnose over the television, but you know, this is really sad, but he is an older guy. He did fall. Who knows? But, uh, I guess he's, uh, b back. There was a video running around that he had, uh, he, he had returned and, uh, I guess this is it. Let me see if he's talking about it here. Bring the sound up guys. Let's see if he says something here. I think he might even be talking about it. Bring the sound up. Well, the president called to check on me. I told him I got a sandbag. Oh, nice. How are you feeling now, sir? Uh, How are you feeling now? I'm fine. Have you seen a doctor? Are you going to Any see a doctor? Any idea what happened? Huh? Any idea what happened? I'm fine. Dehydrated? <laughs> Do you have any idea what happened? He said, I'm fine. And like he said the president called to check on him. Well, uh... The president is in worse shape than he's in, so that would be an awkward conversation. But in, <laughs> anyway, anyway um, uh, two guys wanting to know, is there any ice cream? That's about all they can handle. Um, so, um, Dr. Thorpe, do you, do you have any news? Like, what are you going to be doing now? Do you want to make any announcement about any of your future plans or anything? Yeah, I'm so honored to be with the wellness company. Uh, it, it's um, uh, I was hired on shortly after I was uh, fired for telling after telling the truth. Um, so I, I'm just really, really excited to be with the wellness company. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity. And um, I, I'll be running, I, I think they've titled me uh, in the uh, chief of uh, maternal, fetal, and perinatal medicine there. Um, so I, I'm just... Very, and and, and here's the website. Is this the right website? Own Your Health, the wellness company. That's that's it, that's it right? And who who do you, who will that's you be it. working with there? Doctor Peter McCullough, who's who's part of that? Yes, Doctor Peter McCullough. Uh, there's multiple physicians from the United States and, and Canada, um, and we're expanding into different countries as well. Is this is this um, going to be part of like a um, uh, concierge doctors and stuff? It's a little bit different. What It's not unlike that, but this is a completely separate parallel system. As, as you know, the hospital system, as evidenced by uh, SSM, uh, uh, Hospital of St. Louis, and many others, um, have just uh, apparently have been captured. Um, and they are more interested, it appears, in promoting uh, woke uh, ideology. Um, they, they don't any longer appear to be scientists um, because real science invites questions and invites collegial debate. Uh, but, you know, I was the most extensively published physician in the department and in the division. And um, I don't think anybody else in the entire uh, uh, $9.3 billion hospital system in multiple states had as many publications as I did on COVID-19. So clearly, uh, they never engaged me. They silenced me. Um, and, and I think there's some real serious consequences to that. 
I'm when when you are still pushing the death clot shot now, and you are pushing it in pregnant women. Um, you know these protocols and these hospitals um, are associated with a, a massive uh, death and injury, uh, not just in in the United States of America, but globally. Absolutely, um, because this whole sham, uh, the covenant with death, is a very very serious issue. This and is no longer science. This is fascism. Absolutely. At if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at. J-A-T-H-O-R-P-M-F-M. And congratulations on your new position. Thank you for being with us and being a friend of this broadcast. Thank you, Dr. Thorpe. Thank you very much, Brennan. Dr. Thorpe, checking in. Pray for him and his family as they make this great transition. One door closes, another one opens. Sounds like to me you got a promotion. COVID-19 vaccination does not promote herd immunity. This is because mRNA vaccines and vaccine breakthrough infections promoted resistance of new Omicron variants to previously Omicron-induced antibodies and therefore prevented the development of herd immunity. So highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations exert herd immune pressure on viral infectiousness instead of generating herd immunity against productive infection. Mass vaccination programs imposed by health authorities and policymakers have turned highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations into a breeding ground for immune escape variants and have thereby transformed a natural pandemic into a pandemic of immune escape variants. So pretending that a pandemic of immune escape variants generates herd immunity is a contradiction in terms. In other words, a pandemic of immune escape variants cannot generate herd immunity and without herd immunity, a pandemic cannot transition into endemicity. Mass vaccination during a natural pandemic fails to provide durable sterilizing immunity to the individual that is why mass vaccination fails to generate herd immunity while driving large-scale immune escape. We wanted to document this so that nobody, none of these experts, health authorities, would ever be able to say, well, we didn't know this, we didn't realize. In the case of a pandemic, natural immunity including trained innate immunity is far more efficient and safe than vaccine-induced immunity. So current protection of vaccinees against severe disease is fragile and not durable. The best way to protect against severe COVID-19 disease during an immune escape pandemic is therefore not vaccine-induced adaptive immunity, but trained innate immunity. Whereas both cell-based innate immunity and virulence-inhibiting non-neutralizing antibodies are variant non-specific, the cell-based innate immune system is endowed with immunological memory, whereas non-neutralizing antibodies are not. Due to their thoroughly trained cell-based innate immunity, 
healthy unvaccinated people are now increasingly protected from symptomatic COVID-19 infection, regardless of enhanced viral infectiousness and virulence in COVID-19 vaccinees. In conclusion, large-scale natural immunity is required and sufficient to protect an individual from a pandemic virus and to end a natural pandemic. Why and how is the majority of vaccinees still protected against severe COVID-19 disease? The currently observed protection against severe disease in COVID-19 vaccinees fully relies on short-lived, non-neutralizing antibodies. Re-exposure to circulating Omicron descendants or vaccine booster doses initially prolongs this protection but not without enhancing large-scale immune selection pressure on viral virulence. So it's reasonable, therefore, to postulate that when titers of these poorly functional antibodies collectively decline below an optimal threshold, the virus will break through the virulence-inhibiting capacity of these antibodies and unleash a major wave of severe COVID-19 disease. So this news is sobering, but I have no choice. I have to share it because we have a passion for the truth and we believe that the truth will prevail. Why am I saying that society in highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations will be caught by surprise? The combination of high titers of vaccine-induced antibodies lacking sufficient neutralizing capacity together with exposure to more infectious virus, so for example the XBB subvariants, promotes protection against severe COVID-19 disease in COVID-19 vaccinated individuals. On the other hand, circulation of more infectious virus strengthens the protective capacity of cell-based innate immune function in the unvaccinated. So the resulting absence of alarming hospitalization and mortality rates due to COVID-19 is currently obfuscating the imminent threat the ongoing evolutionary dynamics are posing to COVID-19 vaccinated individuals in highly vaccinated countries. I tend to refer to the current situation as the calm before the storm. Where has all the science gone? Key opinion leaders and health experts are erroneously interpreting diminished pathogenicity as an indication that the virus is transitioning into endemicity. They do not understand that, in the absence of herd immunity, reduced pathogenicity is inextricably linked to enhanced immune selection pressure on viral virulence, and therefore preparing the virus to lift the immune blockade on severe COVID-19 disease. Massive exercises in mutational stamp collection, combined with ad hoc interpretations of epidemiological, 
biological and clinical data have prevented scientists from seeing the forest for the trees and are the biggest obstacle for them to understand the disastrous consequences of this mass vaccination experiment. Their mutational analysis and predictive epidemiological models merely reflect snapshots and don't consider the immunological dynamics that are driving natural adaptation of the virus. Although scientists seem to agree that spike-associated viral mutations are driven by population-level immune selection pressure, none of them dares to mention that mass vaccination and subsequent booster immunizations caused populations to exert large-scale immune selection pressure on the virus. This raises the question as to why no one seems to bother about investigating the origin of this large-scale immune selection pressure placed on the virus. While our experts desperately tried cheering us up with claims that mRNA vaccination and vaccine breakthrough infections protect against severe COVID-19 disease, they seem to ignore that both prevent or even abrogate training of the cell-based innate immune system and promote viral immune escape. Not understanding that Omicron-adapted booster doses only expedite immune escape and fail to prime new neutralizing antibodies towards the updated vaccinal spike sequence is one of the most blatant examples of immunological illiteracy. Unlike updated vaccine boosters, vaccine breakthrough infections caused by highly infectious Omicron descendants, for example the XBB subvariants, fail to prime new functional antibodies and even prevent recall of previously vaccine-primed neutralizing antibodies. So the question even is, where have all the scientists gone? Neither health experts nor scientists seem to understand how enhanced susceptibility to Omicron infection can be reconciled with prevention against severe COVID-19 disease in vaccinees whose antibodies no longer possess sufficient neutralizing capacity. I know of no other scientists who are considering the risk of this virus evolving a major shift, transforming it into a highly virulent variant that poses a serious threat to highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations. Regardless of their astonishing lack of understanding and insight, many scientists continue to blindly endorse the proposal of incompetent public health experts and authorities to continue the mass vaccination experiment with mRNA-based vaccines and to even recommend use of these vaccines for other diseases. Many experts pretended Omicron would end the pandemic. Why have they been wrong? Since the advent of Omicron, the pandemic has evolved into a self-catalyzing chain of enhanced immune escape instead of transitioning into endemicity. 
Because Omicron self-catalyzed its evolution into highly infectious descendants, it rapidly caused immune escape dynamics to reach a point of no return. What this means is that Omicron descendants are now paving the way to the likely emergence of a naturally selected, highly virulent Omicron-derived variant. We have seen that the infectiousness of early Omicron descendants could no longer be sufficiently neutralized by pre-existing, potentially neutralizing antibodies. As a result, the virus became more infectious in vaccinated individuals. What I predict is that we'll soon find that the virulence of subsequent Omicron descendants can no longer be sufficiently inhibited by pre-existing non-neutralizing antibodies and that, as a result, these variants will become more virulent in vaccinees. Vaccinated but not unvaccinated people in highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations have turned the natural pandemic into an inescapable pandemic of immune escape variants. Let's be clear that because trained cell-based innate immunity provides strong sterilizing immunity, the unvaccinated did not contribute to viral immune escape and were not responsible for turning the natural SARS-CoV-2 pandemic into an inescapable pandemic of immune escape variants. Each highly COVID-19 vaccinated population is now planting the seeds for more virulent SARS-CoV-2 variants that I expect to independently unfold massive waves of enhanced severe COVID-19 disease. Why will the mass vaccination program be remembered in history as a colossal blunder? Mass vaccination with COVID-19 vaccines during this pandemic drove immune escape and diminished the neutralizing capacity of vaccine-induced antibodies. This allowed Omicron to cause vaccine breakthrough infections. These vaccine breakthrough infections caused the immune system to focus the immune response on poorly functional antibodies. This phenomenon is called immune refocusing. Vaccine breakthrough infections have two undesirable side effects. First, they irreversibly compromise training of the cell-based innate immune system. And secondarily, they fuel large-scale viral immune escape. The latter raises immune selection pressure on viral virulence. So in their incredibly naive belief that through technology they can control biology, technocrats have been seduced into pursuing sophisticated technologies without fully understanding their biological impact. When they realized the complexity, they decided to turn their program into a global clinical but purely empirical vaccine experiment that doesn't even meet the routine regulatory requirements for preclinical testing. So then, why is this blunder so colossal? 
This is because the mass vaccination experiment has caused a profound disturbance of the naturally balanced virus-host immunity ecosystem. By converting antibody-mediated protection against COVID-19 disease into antibody-independent enhancement of severe COVID-19 disease, it will have turned a natural pandemic into the largest and most dangerous gain-of-function experiment ever conducted in the history of biology, one which mankind has unleashed on its very own species. Mandatory vaccination during a pandemic cannot be scientifically justified. It is therefore completely unethical. Even individuals with a frail innate immune system should not have received COVID-19 vaccines but rather a load, prophylactic, antiviral or early multidrug treatment. Why am I predicting that SARS-CoV-2 will soon evolve into a highly virulent variant that will end the pandemic? Viral survival will require the blockade on viral virulence to be lifted in highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations. Adaptation of viral immune escape variants to large-scale enhanced immune pressure on viral virulence is likely to select a new type of SARS-CoV-2 variant that is capable of breaking through vaccine-mediated immune protection against severe COVID-19 disease. The virus will manage to enhance its virulence by shifting viral replication and spread to susceptible organ tissues of the vaccinated host itself rather than to other susceptible hosts. I predict that this will lead to an extraordinary high loss of human lives in highly COVID-19 vaccinated regions. This dead excess combined with the sterilizing immunity of the unvaccinated will curtail viral transmission to an extent where the virus can no longer survive. My analysis strongly suggests that all healthy, unvaccinated individuals who trained their cell-based innate immune system during this immune escape pandemic will be protected from severe COVID-19 disease and even from COVID-19 disease altogether. Which COVID-19 vaccines are most problematic and which COVID-19 vaccinees are less impacted? As the mRNA vaccines promote immune refocusing, they are to be considered highly problematic both from an individual and public health viewpoint. Healthy vaccinees who only received a single injection of an mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccine or no more than two injections with a non-mRNA-based vaccine prior to developing a symptomatic vaccine breakthrough infection are thought to have preserved their capacity to train their cell-based innate immune system. Whereas mRNA-based vaccination after SARS-CoV-2 infection promotes antibody-independent enhancement of severe COVID-19 disease in highly COVID-19 vaccinated populations, COVID-19 vaccination prior to heterologous 
SARS-CoV-2 infection likely promotes individual cases of antibody-dependent enhancement of COVID-19 disease.